Let's hear the word of God. And there are two passages before us tonight. First Genesis chapter 11 and verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And then turn over in the New Testament to the letter to Titus, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 through to chapter 3 and verse 8. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke, with all authority do not let anyone despise you remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone At one time, 
we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So reads the Word of God. Good to see you all. Let's uh, praise you as we come to study these passages together. Father God, we thank you for your grace that offers salvation to all people. And we pray this evening that by your grace you would teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Amen. Well, how do you feel when you think of this week coming up? Um, what does a normal week look like for you? If there is such a thing as a normal week, is it different? Or is it pretty much the same each week? What's the first thing you do when you get to work on a, on a Monday morning? If you go into a workplace, um, do you look forward to your chat with your, your colleagues about what you got up to during the, the weekend? Or do you feel that sense of anxiety as you open your inbox, dreading what emails might be waiting for you? Maybe your day starts by getting the, the children dressed or fed and off to school and you can't even think about what next until that's out of the way. Or maybe you're retired and you've got a, a few regular appointments but a lot of spare time. How are you going to use that this week? Maybe this week is different. What about all those jobs that you need to do? How many of them need to be done this week or can they wait a week or two or three or four? In short, what motivates you to get up in the morning. Well, so far in this series on work, we've looked at the joy of work and how God himself enjoys work, how he made people to share in the joy of work. Last week, we looked at the impact of the fall on work when human beings rejected God's perfect design, his instructions for living. The result was that the world is no longer as it should be. As we saw this morning, it's characterized by pain and hardship difficult relationships and that includes the whole area of work and yet we also saw how Jesus came to deal with sin to take our burdens from us 
that if we trust in him, he will remove the worries of work, the fear of people. He'll deal with our relationship issues. What we're considering this evening is if, if our motivation for work is right, then it can be a really powerful thing. And God can use each one of us in whatever situation he's called us to. And again, just to clarify that by work, we mean our daily activity. And we're not just talking here about paid employment. If we've got the motivation right, then that helps us with such challenges as how to deal with failure. How do we cope with change? What do we do when we find it hard to to stop? And the key to it all, as we will see this evening, is that we need to be redeemed by Christ, as we've been singing about already this evening. We need to find that identity in him. Because when we belong to Jesus, then our purpose for work changes. Turn with me, if you would, to that passage in Genesis 11, first of all, as we start. The first point, just to encourage you. (laughs) That's where we've got to so far. So we're called to honor Jesus' name and not make a name for ourselves. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that when God made the world, he didn't make it as a finished article. He gave people the mandate to, to rule it and to subdue it, which meant taking the resources of the planet, using the intellect that God uh, has given people, and creating culture, creating civilization. And here we see an example of that. Instead of just using the bricks that were around, people came up with um, a new idea. Or oh, sorry, instead of using the, um, the stones that were around, they came up with the idea of making bricks. They said in verse 3, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. If you can make um, bricks of the same size and shape and have something to, to bond them together, uh, you're going to be able to build bigger buildings. You're going to be able to build more cities. And ever since, people have been coming up with new technologies to, to build taller and taller buildings. Well, so far, fine. So what is the problem? Well, the problem is with their purpose for building a taller building. Have a look down there, what it says. It says, come, they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The reason they were building a tower then, why people build tall towers today, is to make a name for themselves. Um, It's about honour, it's about power. This is the skyline of of London these days, changed dramatically even over the last uh, 20 or 30 years. Why is there always such competition to host the Olympics? Um, Because countries want to do the best Olympics yet. Uh, Bigger stadiums, better facilities, um, more fantastic opening ceremonies. It's about making a name for the country. But what does it mean to make a name for ourselves? It's about creating an identity. It's defining one's being, defining one's worth. To make a name implies you haven't actually got a name at the moment. And the way in which they're wanting to do that is through their work, their, their achievement. Also, I don't think the phrase, a tower that reaches to the heavens, is just a metaphor for a very tall tower. It's a claim to be almost on a par with God. 
is saying we don't need God because look at what we can do without him. Aren't we great? And the other, I think, significant factor here is the crowd factor. Have a look at verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. Now, people working together is a wonderful thing, wonderful thing isn't it? If, um, if the purpose is right, people working together to replace God is not a good thing. People are finding their identity, their, their name in the crowd. My first job was with Deutsche Bank. At that time, they were one of the, the biggest banks in the world. and had about, I think, 50,000 employees worldwide. And there was a sense of working for a powerful institution. You'd go on holiday to another part of the world, and you'd see the, the Deutsche Bank logo, and you'd feel almost quite proud. You belong to that institution. But people have always found security, haven't they, in crowds. They've found their identity in crowds, whether that is a football crowd... No comment on the choice of which uh, football team that is there. They're supporting whether you're, you're wearing the same shirts, holding the same scarves aloft. Whether it's in the army where you're fighting together with your band of brothers. Go at the party conference last week in Manchester. Well, I'd like to think people were striving for the same thing. Although they don't look particularly happy, do they? God sees what is going on. That people are finding their meaning and their accomplishments, their organization, and so he frustrates their efforts. He reminds the people that ultimately they are just human. They need to find their identity, not in their, their achievement, their work. They need to find it in him and trust in him. And so he confuses their language and scatters them over the earth. So if we're not meant to find uh, or make a name for ourselves, why is it we're meant to honour the name of Jesus? Let's go to the second reading in the book of Titus. We're going to spend the rest of our time. And what we find here is that we have been redeemed by Christ and our identity is now found in him. Passage starts in verse 11 of chapter 2. It says, Therefore the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 4, as though it's there as well. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. He has saved us. Salvation is offered to all. But what does it mean to be saved? Well, one aspect of it is to be, have a look at verse 14, to be redeemed. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. To be redeemed from all wickedness means that Jesus has bought our freedom. Previously, we were slaves to our sinful desires. The desires that said we need to make a name for ourselves. That's what was driving us. We need to make ourselves great. And we can do that through our work. 
We want people to, to look up to us. We want people to respect us. We want people to, to talk about all that we've done. We're more important than God. That is wickedness. That is the, the most wicked thing we, thing we can do. That we've been redeemed from that attitude. And Jesus came to free us by paying the price of his life. We didn't deserve to be free. Verse 5 says we did, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. But redeeming us was not just about freeing us from wickedness. It's freeing us for something better. What changes when we are redeemed by God? He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. He freed us to make us his own. Remember how the people found their identity in belonging to the crowd and in having that common purpose of making a name for themselves? God has now gathered a people. And the difference is this people belong to him. They are his very own. And there's no better person you'd want to belong to than God himself, the one who made us. You might ask, well, why not belong to yourself? You know, why, why can't we be our own masters, our own lords? Because we're not perfect, oh, are we? We will we'll all fail. Eventually we will all die. God never fails. He is eternal. So when we are, are saved, our identity changes. We belong to Jesus. I'm sure we've all been asked a question by someone we've met for the first time. Um, in the course of that conversation, they'll ask you, so what do you do? Um, meaning normally what work do you do? Um, maybe what work did you used to do? But what if they ask you not what do you do, but who are you? Who are you? Not just what is your name, but who are you? How would you answer that question? How would you define yourself? Maybe the first thing you would say is your job title. I'm a pastor. Maybe it would be your, your family situation. I'm a married man with, with three children. Maybe it would be your, your nationality or your racial origin. I'm, I'm white British. Maybe your, your qualifications. Uh, maybe these days it would be your, your gender or your sexuality. There are lots of different ways in which we can answer this question. But what should be the first thing we answer? What is the most important thing that defines us? Isn't it that I'm a Christian? None of the rest of those things is as important as the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And what that also means, as we read in the passage, is that I'm an heir having the hope of eternal life. I'm an heir. Okay, you may say, well, I get all that. I am a Christian. I don't want to, to make a name for myself. I just want to, to do my job well. I don't want to do whatever I do this week as well as I can. I don't want to let others down. And that's a great attitude, isn't it? But how do you know if you're being motivated by doing your job well? Or actually it is making a name for yourself. How do I know the difference between those two motivations? Well, ask yourself the question, do I fear failure? Do I fear failure? 
None of us wants to fail, but do I fear it? When I started as a pastor, there was a sense in which I feared failure. Part of me was thinking, why did you give up that job where you've been relatively successful to, to start a new career where you may be a complete failure? Put it another way, do we see work as salvation? Is my meaning, my fulfillment, my, my honor really in Jesus Christ or is it in my work? Tim Chester writes this. He says, if we see work as salvation, as the means by which we will find identity or fulfillment, then failure at work will be a devastating experience. Of course it will, because my identity depends on my being a success. On a good day, you'll be filled with pride at all you've achieved. You'll think of yourself as a self-made man or woman. And a bad day at work will leave you in ruins because your very self is at stake. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. If our identity is in the organisation we work for, whether it's a multinational company or maybe it's a, a charity, maybe it's even the church, when we stop, our identity will take a massive hit. If our identity is in Christ, then nothing can change that. We can have good days when we achieve a lot. We can have bad days where we mess up. Um, but we're still loved by God. We can go into a staff review without fear, without the need to defend ourselves, because we know that God is with us. and Nothing changes that relationship with him. We're able to say no when somebody asks us to do something that either we don't agree with ethically or where we're maybe we're just too busy already. We can say no because we're living for God. We're not being controlled by other people's approval or their disapproval. We've been redeemed by Jesus. Our identity is now in him. But why else did Jesus redeem us? Well, he redeemed us in order to do good. Have a look at verse 14 again. He gave us himself, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify him for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Or verse 8. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. To be redeemed does not just mean that we've got our ticket to heaven so we can just carry on doing what we want to do in the meantime. It means the focus of our life has changed. Our whole motivation has changed. Go back to the Tower of Babel. In itself, there was nothing wrong with people building a tower, using new technology to do so. The problem was in the motive, the motivation. It was to make a name for themselves, to make themselves feel good. And before we became Christians, um, some of us may remember that our motivation was the same, to make a name for ourselves. That might mean being successful in our career. That might mean having lots of money. It might mean just being really popular, having lots of friends, making a name for ourselves. 
As Christians, our motivation is to honour Jesus' name. And we do that by doing what is good in his sight. What does that look like for our work? Well, it means that in every aspect of our lives, we are instruments in the hands of our Redeemer God. And since, as we have said, work is such a big part of our lives and what we do every day during the week, that is an important opportunity in which we can serve Christ. Jesus has begun the redemption of humanity. And that will mean one day we will be restored to the original role God gave us, to rule over and care for creation under God's rule. That day has not yet arrived. It will only come when Jesus returns and the world will be transformed and made new. In the meantime, although we cannot renew the whole world, through our motivation for work, we can make a difference. Let's look at the difference that some key Bible characters made who were willing to be used by God in the place which he had placed them. And Tim Keller writes a great chapter on this in his book, Every Good Endeavour. Israel, you remember, was punished for their rebellion against God by being conquered by a foreign empire and sent into exile. And the restoration of Israel is a a picture of the restoration of humankind one day. We've been looking at one of the characters involved in the restoration uh, on Sunday mornings, haven't we? Um, This guy here, Ezra. Someone, we were told, who had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord so that he could teach the people of Israel. The people needed to have their lives shaped by what the word of God said. Then we have Nehemiah. Very different, a a project manager, if you like. He uses management, his technical skills to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to make the city secure, so that the social and economic life could flourish again. And then there was Esther, who remained in the country of exile in Persia, but who became queen and worked against racial injustice in that empire. Esther is a great example of someone who became exceedingly powerful, exceedingly influential, but she faced a choice. Would she hold on to that power at all cost, which would mean the annihilation of her people, or would she act to protect them at the risk of not just losing her position, but possibly losing her life? It was pretty clear what her uncle Mordecai thought, He said this to her, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. He's saying that if she risks losing the palace, she might lose everything. But if she doesn't risk losing the palace, she will lose everything. If all the Jews are killed, then she will eventually be found out and killed herself. You are all in your different positions for such a time as this. Some of you may be in more influential positions in worldly terms than others. You may, you may be in the palace. And the pressure and temptation on you will be greater. Will you hold on to your position at all cost? Which may mean bending the rules. It may mean compromising your faith. 
Or will you honor Christ even if it means losing a job? The thing is that unless you use your position to glorify God, then the palace is actually a prison. You think you have influence, but actually the palace owns you because you're not prepared to use it. Only you know the decisions you've taken and your, your daily situation. Is your conscience clear? If you realize you are only where you are because God has put you there by his grace, that he's given you your abilities, he's given you your experience, he's given you your openings, then that decision becomes easier, doesn't it? Because you know that he could just as easily remove you from that place. What greater privilege is there than doing God's work? To be called to your position for such a time as this. When Esther realizes the the amazing opportunity that she's been given to save God's people, she makes the brave decision. She says this, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's not just those who are in positions of influence who can do good for God. Each one of you is faced with decisions each day, however small you might think they are, in which you can do good for God. The question you have to keep asking yourself is, will I make a name for myself or will I honor the name of Jesus? Esther identified with her people. She mediated on their behalf before the king and she saved them. There was somebody else, wasn't there, who was in a palace, type of palace, but who left that palace to identify with his people to mediate on their behalf. Someone who didn't say, if I perish, but who said, when I perish. He went to the cross on our behalf and died to save us, to redeem us. That person, of course, was Jesus. And the reason he did that for us is because we are valuable to him. We're not valuable to him because of some brave thing we might do for him. We're valuable to him anyway. And it's because we're valuable to him that we might be prepared to do that brave thing. So if you're someone here this evening who's not yet a Christian, don't Continue to waste your life by making a name for yourself. But seek the freedom that Jesus offers. If you are a Christian, then you know that our identity is in Christ. And when we we fully appreciate that, then we will be free to lose the things that we currently value more than God. We'll be free to, to serve others rather than ourselves we will be able to forget making a name for ourselves, but instead honor the name of Jesus, the name that is above all other names. Amen. Be good just a moment of quiet to reflect on, on what's been said. Um, think about your daily life. Um, maybe just reflect on what... What are those areas where you feel the pressure to maybe do your own thing, to put your own interests first, make a name for yourself? And how can you honor 
the name of Jesus? What are those opportunities he's given you to honour his name? Spend a bit of time just reflecting on that and ask for Jesus' help to achieve big things for him. Thank him for the place you've put him in. To be rescued and freed from being slaves to our own desires and being free to, to follow Jesus, to be owned by him, to belong to him, to live the life that we were always meant to lead. Father, we pray that we would be eager to do what is good. We pray that we would be willing to be used by you in whatever situation you've placed us in. And as we think of this week ahead, we do pray for those opportunities you give us. Help us make a difference to this world. Help us have an influence on those around us. Help us to honour the name of Christ. Amen.